Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right, good morning, everyone. Hey, let's take out our Bibles today and turn to uh, Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Uh, We're going through a study of the Psalms in order right now, and it's going to take us about 15 years to uh, do it (laughs) together. So we're taking about 10 Psalms each summer, and uh, we're going to go through Psalm 21 during this uh, little stretch that we're in. So today uh, we have Psalm 18. So a few more weeks of the Psalms before we move on to our next study. Uh, As you guys are turning there, I want to double down again on the Life Group's announcement and uh, just re-mention that, yeah, the signups are coming up for the Life Groups. Last week, I talked to you about how Life Groups can be a place to um, revisit what you've heard and thought about in the Sunday text and teaching and how helpful that can be. Uh, Today, I want to talk to you about how Life Groups or community, Christian community in general, can provide you with non-linear forms of discipleship. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. There are linear forms of discipleship. Would you mentor me? Would you take me through a list of attributes or character traits? Could I take a a Christian basic theology class where we're working through Christian doctrines in order? It's very intentional, orderly, and sequential. But a lot of times when you're in community, there's another kind of discipleship that God wants to produce in your life. It's just things that come up that you couldn't foresee in advance that your group will help you with. Sometimes the form of discipleship that unfolds for you in the group is just being exposed to other really solid people, seeing what their lives look like, how they're building their lives, the decisions that they're making, and it kind of confronts you with who you are and where you're at, and it helps you to grow. So You just never know exactly what it is that the Spirit's going to be trying to grow in your life at various stages, and I find that being in groups or being in Christian community helps that non-linear form of discipleship take place. So I wanted to mention that to you as as a great advantage of being in a life group. So get yourself plugged into one when they go live. I think it's next week that you can sign up for those. I should have been listening to the announcements a little bit better. Um. Also, before we get into the study, I have a bittersweet uh, announcement to make uh, to you as uh, a church. Uh, if, you've been, if you're connected to our Calvary Connection email list or you uh, have a student that's in the high school or middle school ministry, you already know what I'm about to say. Um, you know, they say that uh, short-term missions trips uh, are a gateway to produce long-term permanent missionaries. And uh, we were saying that before our Thailand missions trip. We were talking about how, hey, there are no real full-time missionaries unless they first go on a short-term trip. Short-term trips are really important. These are really valuable. We did not anticipate that that was going to impact our youth pastor and his wife like it has. Uh, Pastor Josh came to me a couple of weeks ago, sat me down and said, Nate, I got some things I want to share with you. God moved in my heart and in Erica's heart while we were in Thailand the ministry and the team there within Reach Global, they saw us and invited us to consider moving permanently to Chiang Mai, Thailand to take over their discipleship, internship ministry that they do. And I can't think of a more perfect 
uh, ministry and a more perfect couple for that ministry than Josh and Erica Shively. So I'm so excited about this for them. It's bittersweet for us, but there they are right there. We wanna celebrate them today. We love your faith, your courage, your willingness to step out and say yes to the Lord. And uh, their plan is to go in January. So this will be a season for them as they continue ministering to our kids and continue pouring into the youth ministry. They'll be simultaneously uh, preparing for life on the mission field. Uh, Their kids are going with them and are going to go to an international school there in Chiang Mai and are excited about it as well. They have that shively adventurous spirit inside of them. And uh, so this just feels great uh, to me. Josh and Erica have always felt to me like, like missionaries here in this church context and community. And so in a sense, I feel like we get a chance to send out our very best this January. Uh, our church leadership would normally love to tell you like right now exactly what's happening next in the youth ministry, uh, to tell you who the next pastor is going to be and where they're from and all that kind of stuff. But we felt that it was important to get the news out about the Shivelys going out so that they could begin being public about it, raising funds, all of that kind of stuff. What we do want to say is that we love our uh, youth ministry. We believe that God is doing some great things there, and we want to invest in it in the years to come. So we've already begun searching, looking, praying, talking, thinking about who that person or people are that are supposed to be responsible for that uh, in the future. And I feel super good about it because I feel like worst case scenario, we don't find anybody and I get to do it. So (laughs) I love youth ministry. So um, we'll see what the Lord does and how he takes care of us. But um, let's be praying for our youth and the future of that ministry. But let's also keep the Shively family in prayer. And uh, if you want to hear more about just how they, this came to pass and all of that, we recorded a short video. Josh and I did this last week. And uh, he'll be talking about it more as the months tick by. And we'll have plenty more times to pray for them and all of that. But Let's pray for them right now and ask God to bless the Shively family. So Lord, we come before you today. This is just, in a way, so cool to watch you, Lord, doing a thing that we could have never anticipated. I remember, Lord, sitting in a prayer meeting 20 plus years ago, hearing about David Joannes for the very first time in his ministry into Thailand. And now all these years later, this long partnership later, now Josh and Erica are gonna go join together with him there. It's just a blessing to watch you, Lord, weaving your beautiful tapestry, your story, Lord, in our lives. We thank you for Josh and Erica and Seth and Ellie, and we pray, Lord, that you would bless them greatly. You'd have your hand upon them as they prepare. Lord, anytime fear or worry comes in, we pray that you'd bolster them. And we ask, Lord, that you'd pave the way for them, that they'd have a fruitful ministry there. We pray, Lord, for our youth ministries here and ask, Lord, that you do an amazing work. And, uh, Lord, that you'd raise up the person or people that you have, Lord, to take care of that ministry and this fruitful thing that we're watching you do in our midst. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. And uh, we pray that you'd bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Erica. Appreciate you guys.
they're off to take care of the middle school kids right now, so they, they came in to, to just to be here for that. All right, today, uh, Psalm 18, 50 verses. So it's a, it's a big psalm. We're not going to do the whole thing. I'm just going to tell you right now. Let's just read the first three verses and ask the Lord to speak to us. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Let's, let's pray for our time in the word. Lord, speak to us today from your word. Teach us about who you are as our rock. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, this is what we're gonna do with Psalm 18. You, you know I'm a verse-by-verse teacher. I like to plow through and go through the whole thing, but today what we're gonna do is we're, we're actually gonna just consider a concept that's found all throughout this Psalm of God as rock. What does that mean? What did David think it meant? How does it apply into our lives today? And I wanna handle it that way for a few, few reasons. Uh, one is, is that there's a, there's a handful of Psalms that are carbon copy replicated elsewhere in the Bible, and this is one of them. Uh, Psalm 18 is replicated nearly verbatim in 2 Samuel 22. And when I say that, I know that so many of you are saying to yourselves, oh, I remember, Nate, four and a half years ago, we did the life of David, and you taught through First and Second Samuel, and you taught 2 Samuel 22. It was an amazing message. <laughs> Five points about who God is from those 50 verses. So uh, I've already done the verse-by-verse -verse treatment of uh, this uh, whole chapter, but in its version in 2 Samuel uh, chapter uh, 22. Uh, you can go back and listen to that if you'd like. Uh, but this is a really long psalm. It's the longest psalm that we've come to in our study of the psalms up to uh, this point. And so I thought it'd be beneficial for us to slow down and marinate on just one concept from these verses uh, this morning, the concept of God as rock. And uh, that concept, uh, it shows up actually not just in these opening few verses that we looked at, but in the entirety of the psalm. I'll try to put them on the screen for you this morning. In verse two, he says, the Lord is my rock. Again, in verse two, my God, my rock. In verse 31, who is a rock except our God? And in verse 46, blessed be my rock. All right, so this is scattered throughout the entire psalm. David considered God to be his rock. And uh, what I think that means is that everything that he prayed in this entire song, it was all embedded or rooted in that concept of God. Whatever David thought of that, whatever that meant to David, I'm gonna try to explain that this morning. Uh, that understanding is what made him say all the other things that he said about God, even in these first few verses that we just read this morning. I mean, David said that God was his fortress, his deliverer, his refuge, his shield, his horn of salvation, his stronghold. All of those things are rooted in the idea of God being this strong rock, fortress, refuge, shield, stronghold, deliverer, uh, being in David's life. And uh, this concept, 
uh, of God as rock. It's, it's beautiful just on its own, but it's especially beautiful when you consider the background of this psalm. Not, not every psalm, as you guys have noticed as we've been going through the psalms, have a superscription or a background detail to it, but this one does. It's one of the longest superscriptions or background details of any of the psalms, and it tells us that David would sing this song after victories that God won for him, especially the victory that God won for him over his nemesis, his father-in-law, King Saul. Uh, but we know from the passage in 2 Samuel chapter 22 that he didn't only sing it after his victory uh, over Saul. After Saul's demise, demise he sang it uh, after Absalom's uh, rebellion and God's deliverance of David there. He sang it at the end of his life when he was getting ready to die. It seems that this was the song that David sang to celebrate when God had powerfully worked in his life to bring him into a fresh season of victory. He rejoiced in what God had done in his life. Whenever God won on his behalf, this was the first song on David's post-game victory playlist. You know, it was kind of his thing of like, oh, this, oh, I won again. God del delivered me again. Here's the song that I'm going to sing. You, you guys know those songs that are played at sports games, right? You know, there's like the We Will, We Will Rock You, you know, song. There's the Sweet Caroline. I've always wondered how that one got in there. It's like a song that the whole stadium sings. It's a lot of fun. But, but this song, this, this is David's na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye song. It's like, I, you know, my enemy is done. The game is over. God has brought me into a fresh form of his deliverance. Okay, but God was not only David's rock. He can be your rock. I hope to show you that today. But before I look at that, I want to say, I think it's worth saying, that there are many senses in which God is unlike a rock. You know, God is spiritual in substance. He's not material, so he's unlike a rock there. God is invisible. God is alive. He's living. He's, he's a person. He'd speak and minister to David as a person would, speaking to his heart. In other words, God is unlike a rock in some ways. In fact, even for us, I think we have to do a little bit of like, let's just acknowledge this. You know, when we think of the title, The Rock, we probably don't think of God right away, right? We think of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You know, unfortunately, that's where our minds first go. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be teaching in a few weeks on God as rock. And uh, he, he's, a very, he's a cultured man, this man that I was speaking with, a sophisticated man. And he began telling me about the pro wrestling career of the rock. And uh, he said, yeah, he had this move, very famous move. It was called the People's Elbow. I looked it up on YouTube. It was, it was actually during my study time I was preparing for this sermon. It was very serious work I was doing. And uh, it was great. You know, he's got this whole thing when his opponent is lying on the mat, you know, there like a borderline unconscious. He kind of gets the crowd worked up. And then he does this flying elbow where he just like, that's the People's Elbow. It's like, it's what you all want. I'm going to do it for the people, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> And uh, that is not the concept we should have of God <laughs> as rock. So people have these concepts. Yeah, like that's how I know God. He doesn't speak. He's silent. You know, he, I'm not getting anything. And then, when, and then he just destroys me sometimes. You know, no, that's not the picture we're supposed to have of God. There, there are ways in which a rock, though, is a perfect metaphor for God. 
God is, the Bible tells us, immense, has always been and will always be eternal, and is unchanging in nature. And for an ancient Near East person like David, all those elements are exactly what a massive rocks seem to be. Without modern cranes or modern machinery, massive rocks to someone like David were immense and immovable. They were just gonna be there forever. Without explosives, massive rocks seemed to exist on and on forever. Like they had no beginning and no end. And to the naked eye, massive rocks never changed, even if the landscape all around them did change. And I think that those ideas are the kinds of things that David and other biblical authors meant when they called God a rock. Uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, when Hannah uh, had been praying to God that she'd be able to have a child and she becomes pregnant and little Samuel is born, she said, there is no rock like our God. It was her way of saying, there's no one else worthy of building life upon, and I'm so glad that I built my life upon him. There's no rock like him. All right, so that's a little backdrop to God as rock. So here in this psalm, though, what did David mean when he said, God is my rock? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that God as rock means that he is our resting place. He is our resting place. What, what do I mean by that? Well, we, of course, remember and recall that David was uh, familiar with life in the barren wilderness of Israel. Now, David had spent years as a young man on the open ranges uh, outside of Bethlehem taking care of his father's sheep. And he'd spent even more years on the run in the wilderness from Saul and then eventually his son Absalom. He was very familiar with the outdoors, very familiar with the wilderness of Israel. That meant that he was very familiar with the scorching sun of that part of the world. And so David learned to appreciate the presence of a rock partly because it could provide shade during the most brutal times of the day. Not only, though, could it provide shade for a weary traveler or shepherd or fugitive, uh, it might also, because of its shade, provide water or vegetation. When the rain would come down in those desert areas, the sun was so hot, it's so hot there that it quickly evaporates unless it's found on the shady side of a rock or cliff or cave. So when seeing a rock from afar, David knew that sometimes there'd be not only shade, but maybe water and maybe even some grass had grown with which he could feed the animals, the livestock or the horses that were with him. Just the sight of a large rock in that harsh desert environment would encourage a traveler in that era. Remember when I was, used to be really big into running, you know, it kind of like have like a, you'd have the peak of a mountain or a peak of a hill in mind. It's like, if I could just get to there, then things are going to be better. And that would be what it was like for an ancient traveler. If I could just get to that large boulder or that cave that I could hide in from the heat of the day, then I can, I can get through this journey. In fact, Isaiah alluded to this facet of rocks when he 
talked about God's people, God's workers, God's servants in Isaiah 32, verse 32, being like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. I want to suggest that to you as a vision for your own life. Wouldn't it be beautiful to be able to say, that's, that's what I'm trying to be for other people. I want to be like, a, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land for people that are passing through my life. But that was God for David. He was often a resting place for this man. You know, in David's early years, I think I've alluded to this a lot, it seems like he was forgotten and maybe even despised by his father. When, when uh, the prophet came to his house and said, you know, we're going to have a special celebration today, gather all of your sons to his father, uh, Jesse, his dad, gathered everybody together except for David. He left David out in the wilderness taking care of his sheep. It seems that that's what Jesse thought David's destiny was. And so David, forgotten by his family, he found rest in God time and time again while out under the sun and stars. You know, he, out there he wrote songs to God. He prayed to God. Neglected by his family, he found solace or rest with his father in heaven. But it seems that the comfort and the rest that David found in those early years of his life, they proved to be foundational for everything that was coming. He handled the scorching heat of Goliath's taunts he handled Saul's madness. He handled Absalom's rebellion by finding rest or shade in his God. Time and time again, David would go to God and find everything that he needed to endure in life. God filled him up. God strengthened him. God energized him. And after being recharged, David would trudge out into whatever life threw at him. Maybe, maybe an image will help you to, to consider this concept of God as a place of rest. Imagine walking down a long street in Phoenix in the middle of summer, in the middle of the day. <laughs> and imagine that because of the positioning of the sun and the angle of that street, one side of the street is completely exposed, totally in the sun, but the other side of the street, the shade from the buildings is casting shade onto the sidewalk. Which side of the street would you choose to walk on? Uh, anybody who's grown up and had been born and raised on the Monterey Peninsula is choosing the shade. I mean, we don't even want to go to Phoenix. It's so terrible for us. We can't handle anything above 73 degrees. Uh, but that's the idea. God can, as we journey along in the intensity of life, Take the edge off by walking with him in his shade. The psalmist said it this way in one of the psalms of ascent, Psalm 121, songs they would sing when they came up to Israel for worship. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now, I, I want to continue to encourage you uh, as a church, as a congregation, let's be a people who press into our relationship with the Lord. Let's be a people who don't just say to ourselves, it's really cool that God is there, <laughs> that there is shade available, but that we would go to that shade, that we would find our rest in him, that, that he would refresh us each day on our journey in life. Uh, a couple months ago, I was scheduled to do a little bit of teaching and attend a conference down in Southern California, and Christina got a chance to come with me and uh, we rented a car for our trip. And uh, we got about halfway there to L.A. 
And uh, we stopped for dinner at a Chipotle on a, kind of a barren stretch of the five out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, after dinner, we, we got in the car, and the, the car was just not behaving right. It would start up, but it wouldn't really go into gear. It would go like five miles an hour tops. Like we, it just was not road ready. And so we, we pulled into a gas station, and we just immediately started trying to fix things and figure out what was going on. And pretty soon, it became apparent, like, okay, we, we're, this is a problem. And so uh, long story short, we had three hour-long phone calls with our rental car company. Three tow trucks promised to us that never arrived and never came. And long story short, eventually uh, they brought us a new rental car uh, at breakfast the next morning. So we spent the whole night in this parking lot at a gas station. It was terrible. And I don't want to tell you what rental car company it was. I just feel like it would hurt too bad to tell you. They did what they could to make it right, and I got lots of sermon illustrations out of it, so I'm very thankful. (laughs) But when they did finally bring us our new rental car, they actually towed one from LAX up the grapevine and to us. When they finally brought us a rental car after being in this parking lot for a good 12 hours, uh, what, what we did is we got in the rental car and we drove across the street to a Motel 6, and we took a very long nap in that motel. And I have to tell you, that was the finest hotel I've ever stayed in in my entire life. (laughs) I mean, it just felt so good. It's like, this is exactly what we need right now. I don't care that it's a Motel 6. I don't care that it's $39.99. I don't care. I'm not trying to think about who's been in here before. (laughs) And I believe that that's a good picture of what God means to be for us. Uh, A place of rest, a a place of refuge. Life is hard, but we have God, and he is there to restore us on our journey. Now, I also want to say that I believe that this refuge-like nature of God is not only meant for us to individually receive, I think it is for us to then collectively and corporately extend uh, because people are hurting. You know, we're, uh, I, I believe we're a good church. Uh, we are an honest church, a, a truthful church, and I believe churches like ours are well positioned to do great work in the world that we live in, in our modern time. We're willing to clearly articulate the moral truths of Scripture. We're willing not to fudge them for popular approval. That means that when people who have fallen prey to the lies of this world are hurting and struggling, we can be a great place of refuge for them in that pain and hurt. But to do so, we do have to at times take off the combatant hat and put on the refuge hat that is like the nature of God. So God is a rock of rest. Each of us have to go to him, find his shade. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Okay, the second thing though that I want you to see about God uh, as rock 
is that it means that he is our hiding place. Not, not just our resting place, but our hiding place. Remember, David had used desert rocks for a lot more than just shade on a journey. He would often go to the rocks and caves and, uh, that, that were in that region to hide from his pursuers, right? That would happen quite often in David's life. Just a few examples. There was the cave of Adullam. Uh, you'll read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 22. This was kind of one of the first places that David ran to when his father-in-law Saul uh, really started to aggressively try to kill him. Uh, David went to the cave of Adullam. This is the cave where uh, a group of a few hundred distressed and indebted and discontented men came out to David and began to, to dwell with him. And as they spent time with that original giant killer, they became men of victory themselves. Uh, there was also uh, in David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 23, a rock in the wilderness of Maon. Uh, in this episode, it kind of reads like an old cartoon because Saul is pursuing David and he, he and his men are on one side of the mountain and David and his men are on the other side of the mountain and, 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 and Saul's men are about to enclose in on David and his men when Saul hears news from home that the Philistines are attacking. And with that news, he has to leave the rock and just right before he pounces on David. And so David is saved. He actually calls that rock the rock of escape for many years following. And then probably the most famous rock episode in David's life happened in the wild goats rocks in En Gedi's desert. It was there that David hid from Saul and the 3,000 troops that Saul had with him. Uh, Saul, though, went into the very cave that David was in amongst hundreds of caves in that region to rest and relieve himself. And so David's men whispered in David's ear that God had provided a chance for David to avenge himself. David crept out to Saul, but did not kill Saul. Instead, he cut the corner of his robe so that when Saul exited the cave, David could show him that piece of cloth as evidence that David did not want to kill him. And like all those rocks, God is a hiding place for his people. As David prayed elsewhere in Psalm 32, you, God, are a hiding place for me. He knew that God had over and over again been his hiding place. Just think about it. The more that David fled to the rocks in the wilderness, the more that David got to know every nook and every cranny in the rocks of the wilderness. In other words, because David had so many enemies, because there was so much conflict, those rocks became home for David. And I think in a similar way, the more we are forced to run to God because of worries or threats or enemies, the more the vastness of God becomes familiar to us. We get to know the God that we learn about in Scripture. We get to know him more the more we run to him amid trials and attacks. Let us never be like those Isaiah rebuked in Isaiah 17, verse 10, who he said, forgot the God of their salvation and did not remember the rock of their refuge. That's who God is. God is our rock of refuge. Now, this rock, as David said in the verses we read at the beginning of this teaching, he is a fortress and he is a shield. 
That means that God is a high and defensible space in which we can hide. He is our cave of refuge. Now, this is a beautiful picture that I think is most fully understood on the side of the cross that we're on today. You know, the Bible teaches that if you become a Christian, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin and that he rose from the grave, if you trust in him and that only to be made right in the sight of God, the Bible teaches that an incredible transfer has taken place for and in you. Uh, The Bible teaches that you are adopted by God as if you are his only begotten son, his only begotten child. The Bible teaches that you are identified with the Son, so much so that the phrase that's used about you is that you are in Christ Jesus. You are subsumed, in other words, by the Son. As Paul said in the book of Romans, we must consider ourselves now to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why why am I currently dead to sin and alive in my relationship with God? Because of my performance? Because of who I am? No, because I'm in the Son, in Christ Jesus by faith. As Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That position before him, that's what Christianity is about. That's what I mean when I say he is our rock of refuge. Sometimes he's our rock of refuge even from ourselves. That's the seat, the position that you have in him. I saw a video recently that just cracked me up. This will tell you a little bit about my kind of uh, sense of humor. But uh, it happened at a Dodgers game. That's a baseball team that I like. But uh, it wasn't of a game. It was in between innings, and there was a fan in the bleachers who wanted to propose to his girlfriend, ask uh, her to marry him. And uh, rather than just turning to her with the camera on him or something and getting on his knee, he decided that what he wanted to do was run out onto the field. I don't know if you know this, but you're not allowed to do that at (laughs) sporting events. So he goes out there, and then he turns around at a certain point and faces her, and of course, the whole stadium's watching him, the whole section of the bleachers, they're all you know, going crazy for him, and he gets on a knee, and he holds up this ring that he's got in his pocket, and uh, he's like mouthing words or whatever, but the, the funny part of the video is that this like NFL linebacker security guard just comes flying in from the side and just boom, <laughs> just lays them out, and then a few other dudes just pile on top of them, and then they just carry them out. They didn't think it was cute, you know? (laughs) And uh, I really enjoyed that. I watched it a few times. (laughs) And I thought to myself, this would have gone a lot better for you if you had just stayed in your seat. You could have asked her. She would have said yes. You know, there's like a video of him afterwards. He's all messed up. He's like, but she said yes. (laughs) You know, as believers, the Bible says that when you trust in Jesus, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is our position. That is who we are in him. And the second we forget about that, the second that we try to operate outside of him, the second we try to move on in life without him, we endanger ourselves. We need to treat him as he is, our rock of refuge. And that was David. 
Okay, the last thing I want you to see, though, is that not only is he our resting place and our place of refuge, he's our building place as well. What do I mean by that? Well, we still consider a rock, even in our modern time, to be a a great place to to build a structure, a a strong foundation. And David understood that concept as well. In fact, when he looked at Jerusalem, he saw how it was built on a rock, and he felt like that's the perfect city for me. That's the perfect city for God's temple because it will last. It's going to be built upon the rock that is there. And that's who God is. He's the rock on which we must build our lives. When we stand on him, we stand on secure ground. And we could say with the psalmist in Psalm 40, God drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. How many of you can say that this morning? That's what God did for me. I was all over the place. It's all over the place. And then God got a hold of my life and he put me on solid ground. He took me out of the miry bog and he's made my steps secure. That's what David is saying. He's saying, God is that for me. He is the best foundation I could ever have built my life upon. Now this, this might be the most important facet of all of the ideas of God as rock. I mean, the New Testament certainly portrays Jesus as our place of rest. It certainly portrays Jesus as our place of refuge, but it definitely and resoundingly portrays Jesus as the rock on which to build our lives. He's called by Peter, quoting from Psalms, the chief cornerstone. He's said to be in Acts chapter four, the only name by which a person can be saved. His identity in Matthew 16 as the son of God is the rock upon which the church is built. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is, he said, Jesus Christ. And from Jesus' own lips is this beautiful exhortation at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Don't you love that statement, founded on the rock? Perhaps your life has been founded on the rock. Perhaps you're thinking about trusting in Jesus and founding your life on the rock. Perhaps you have been in the past, but you've stopped building your life upon the rock. My exhortation is build your life and keep on building your life upon the cross on the rock that is Christ. Do not build your life on the church. Do not build your life on Christian morality. Do not build your life on the ministry or the things that you're doing for God. Do not build your life on family. Do not build your life on career. Build your life on Christ. Like a tree searching into the dirt for a large boulder to claw onto for support, reach for the rock. Let him provide the stability and strength that's needed for life. Build on Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great London preacher, said it this way in a bygone era. He said, with the rootlet of little faith, hold on to Jesus. Let that tiny feeler grow, and meanwhile, send out another to take a new grasp of the same rock. Lay hold on Jesus. 
and keep hold on Jesus. Grow up into him. Twist the roots of your nature, the fibers of your heart about him. He is as free to you as the rocks are to the fir tree. Be as firmly lashed to him as the pine is to the mountainside. And I think when you do, Jesus's foundational rock-like nature, well, it becomes yours. Jesus said the house does not fall. The house stands in the midst of the storm. When the rain and the floods and the winds of life bring their worst upon you, you'll find yourself standing like a tall lighthouse amid the crashing waves. And this shouldn't be hard for us to comprehend here near the coast of the Monterey Peninsula. And I've lived here my entire life. There are rocks down there at Asilomar or at Lover's Point that have been there my whole life. I know there's coastal erosion. I know the rocks aren't exactly the same, but the same rocks that I saw 40-something years ago, they're the same rocks that are there today. The sand has changed. The dirt has changed. The cliffs have changed. There's been a lot of erosion, but the rocks, the rocks stand for generations. That's what David had done. He had built his life on the strong foundation that is God. Because he did, his life didn't always make sense to the people that watched him. But rather than defend himself against Saul like he could have because he was so innocent, he trusted God, that God would keep his promise and make him king someday. Rather than shrink in terror when Goliath was threatening the people of Israel, David, a a boy shepherd, believed God and believed that God would use him to deliver his people from this behemoth. Rather than cut corners to take the throne, David cut the corner of Saul's robe to prove that he would wait for God's timing. I don't need to take matters into my own hand. My life is built upon the rock. Rather than listen to circumstances designed to convince him that walking with God did not work, David pressed in and found his strength in God time and time again. God had put a foundation under him promising him that one of his descendants would sit on the throne of the whole world forever. That's Jesus. So if we want to sing this song, if we want to sing this at the end of our lives like David did, if we want to sing it throughout our lives as David did, I think we have to treat God as our rock today. We have to go to him to find him as our refuge. We have to go to him to find rest and replenishment in him. We have to Build our lives upon him and his word. But when we do, when we we let the glorious goodness of his presence and promises and power and love and grace do that in our lives, we're provided with the stability that we need for life. You see, connecting to God as rock, it means a lot for our flourishing in life. Uh, In her book, The May Trees, Annie Dillard wrote of a marital romance that was beautiful because she said, we cared wildly then deeply for one person out of billions. We bound ourselves to the fickle, changing and dying as if they were a rock. The idea is, isn't this marriage beautiful? Even though it can't last eternally, we acted like it was. But the wonder of our love for God is that he is not fickle. He is not changing, and he is certainly not dying. He is faithful, he is unalterable, and he is living. And so 
as we found ourselves upon him, we are founding ourselves on something that will never, ever end. So let's be a people who continue to build our lives upon the rock, amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you today for who you are, for what you've done for us. We love you. We appreciate this, what this metaphor image says about who you are. And uh, Lord, we understand it imperfectly, but we are trusting you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to build and rebuild and continue to build upon you and who you are. Thank you for being a place of rest for us, a place of refuge for us. We lean, Lord, upon you today. And Lord, we wanna pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who might need that refuge or that rest today. And we pray, Lord, that you bring it into their lives, perhaps even through us. Thank you, Lord. We bow and surrender again to you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing this song to the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.